Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to episode 38 of Conquering Columbus. We got a great show lined up for you today uh, with a guest that was introduced to us by our first episode guest, Mr. Steve Weaver of the Candle Lab himself. But before we dive into that, I want to take a moment and remind you all, go ahead and look at whatever podcast app you're listening to this on. Click that subscribe button. It really helps us out, and it'll make sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. The last thing we want to do before we get this episode rolling is take a moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. All right, Conquerors, let's get the show on the road. could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and uh, welcome to another episode of Conquering Columbus. We got a great guest with us for today. And uh, I'm going to kick it over to Josh so we can give you a quick intro on him. Hey guys, today we got Wolf Star with us. Wolf was first introduced to us as the connector of everyone by one of our earlier guests, Steve Weaver. He started out in marketing and business development before founding the Small Business Beanstalk, an organization dedicated to leveraging connections of small businesses to influence business and community growth here in Columbus. Today he is the interim director of Connects Columbus and a partner of Atlas Community Partners, and we're very excited to have him on the show. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Wolf. Thank you for having me. We talked about this a little bit at the beginning. Your first name's Tim. You like to go by Tim or Wolf. You kind of just go off the cuff. You don't mind either one. It switches. So um, every day I will run into some people who know me as Tim and some people who know me as Wolf. Uh, At this point, I think most people that I meet with refer to me as Wolf just because it's easier. Uh, but I don't mind either. So it'd be cool if it's like your alter ego, though. Like when Tim turns into Wolf, and I can just, just Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde going on. Normally happens after about 10 p.m. on a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got about an hour to get this show in, and then we got to get out of here. So, right. so one, of the, one of the first things that we like to talk about um, with any of our guests is what's a typical day look like for you right now? It varies from day to day. Every day is slightly different, and I love it. But in general, I'm trying to structure it more where. In the mornings, I'll either uh, take my son to school or try and get up early and work out or take full advantage of the opportunity to sleep in whenever I possibly can. And by that, you know, sleep an extra hour. Uh, But then once I'm up and going, it's fairly structured. Most days, I try and return as many of the emails as I have, triage them, as we call it, um, before I head on into the office so that when I'm in there, I can be alert to everybody that's going on and not worrying about needing to make sure there are no fires to put out. Uh, My office currently is at CD1025 Station, our new partners with Connects Columbus. 
and I will usually check in there and then head on out for my day's meetings. Usually you can find me at a coffee shop or three before returning back, touching base, and then doing some lunch meetings and uh, then moving on from there. What are some of the major things you're hitting in those meetings, like your goals today with your position and everything that you guys are working towards? So I really have to split my focuses in a couple of different directions. Um, the SBB, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, uh, became a partner with CD1025 to do Connect Columbus, which is really taking the best of everything we both had and merging it into one. So one of my primary focuses is making sure that I'm supporting their staff and their team with everything they need to know what we've gone through for the seven years prior to this so that they don't have any of those speed bumps. So they can truly learn from our uh, strengths and mistakes and do the best job possible so they can all find success. Uh, and then also with my festival work, a lot of it is community-based. I, I really want to make sure Columbus is the best city it possibly can be. And so a lot of my meetings I'll go into fairly blind, such as the first time I met with you guys. And I was just told by um, Mr. Candelab, Steve Weaver himself, that you were worth, uh, not even worth, but you were someone who I absolutely need to meet with. So I did. And uh, a lot of those times, I don't know what those meetings are. So I will sit there with a notebook. I will take notes as our, our partners are talking. And then I'll have a list of phrases wrote backwards that I will follow up with you later about and then I'll circle connections, and at the end of the night, when I'm done with this kind of thing or having a, an interesting conversation over a late-night cocktail, I'll usually return home and send out all those connections and very, very short emails that just end with be excellent to each other. Yeah. And it's funny that you bring up that first meeting because it's come up before on this podcast, but because that is the infamous meeting where I had a slice of Mikey's late-night slice and I think I was sweating more than I've ever sweat before. Spicy pepperoni mixed with the unicorn sauce is really no joke. It's not, it's not a joke. <laughs> you still respond to the follow-up email, though. It says a lot, a lot right. about your character. <laughs> so you know, <laughs> so um, let's dive into, you know, early on, you went to Ohio State for a short time. Yeah. Um, I, my weekend at the college didn't turn out like I planned, but it was a great place. It was a great experience. I learned a lot. And some of my best friends to this day are ones who I met in some of those early courses. Right. So what kind of caused you to leave college? I mean, what was your, you know, your take on college while you were there? And why did you choose to move in another direction? I really enjoyed college. And um, when I speak with young people, um, I always encourage that opportunity in their life. And I feel as though it's something that I've truly missed out on. But for me, at that point in time, I had this opportunity with the company to uh, fully dive in, to learn what I thought would be my best education by uh, giving it all of myself. Um, and I, I did gain a very unique education from that point in time. But there are negatives to that, too. I didn't write the hundreds of papers and read the the thousands of pages of literary documents. So when when I'm sending emails and stuff like that, I often try to get it proofed by someone who did a whole lot more education than I did because they're the expert in that. So for me, it was just the path that I saw as the best. I don't regret it. Uh, I wouldn't change it, but I would encourage people to find a way to do both. And are you originally from Columbus? Or? I am. I grew up in the short north in the 80s, way before it was the short north. It was um, where the college professors lived when they couldn't really afford to live anywhere else that was close. It, it was a very, very rough neighborhood. It had um, gangs and it had a lot of uh, struggle. But I was fortunate enough to have a great family and a great um, surrounding of families where as the neighborhood grew, we kept a lot of that culture alive. And we're watching similar things happen in Franklinton and Old Town East, where uh, the neighborhoods are just uh, starting to mature, but in very positive ways. So Wyland Park is a great example. Where where Wyland Park was five years ago is where I grew up. It's called Denison Place. It's the northern part of the short north, uh, 25 years ago. And it's, it's really neat the way that they are working really hard with the current residents to make sure they're lifting them up instead of pushing them out. 
And with your perspective and how much you've seen the city grow over the years, where do you think everything's going in terms of, like, do you see another short north after this? I mean, Italian Village is already growing a lot. Is Franklinton coming up in your perspective? or? I think every neighborhood is different. For a long time, um, everyone was saying Franklinton's the new short north. Franklinton's the new short north. Uh, uh, Old Town's the new short north. Clintonville sometimes they say it's the new short north. It's it's not accurate. I've I've surrounded myself with a lot of cool groups of people, musicians, artists, things like that. One, one, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> one of the most interesting sets are the urban planners. And I always end up finding that I'm surrounded by urban planners. And they have a lot of thoughts, but a lot of knowledge that most of us don't. It's, every neighborhood is going to end up being different, but they are going to have similar uh, patterns as they develop. The Dispatch ran my favorite cartoon of all time uh, about three days ago, which was a tidal wave of money falling into Franklinton that's a development. And it really meant a lot because friends of mine, um, the Kaufmans of Columbus and groups like that, are working so hard. I mean, I remember when Jim Sweeney in Franklinton first started talking about how this was a cool neighborhood and it was going to come up and we'd go to... Uh, this place called Deuces, which is now Rehab Tavern, and he'd be like, yeah, this is going to be the neighborhood. And we'd be like, okay, where are we? Um, five years later, it is the neighborhood, and, and now it's uh, it's where all the money is pouring into. It's, it's the closest neighborhood. And then you have Old Town East, and some of my very good friends are working on the Parsons Avenue district, and the south side is a resource, resource of culture that when we blend in some of the resources of the city as a whole, it will create more unique German village-style neighborhoods and Italian village and Victorian villages. Um, so I think it's just going to keep moving forward. And as technology is happening, as smart cities is coming in, we're seeing neighborhoods like Linden being lifted in different ways. And um, I'm, I'm excited to watch and help out where I can. So your story is unique because your professional experience starts pretty quickly. I mean, after you left your time at Ohio State, maybe talk a little bit about, did you mention what you were studying while you were there? I don't think I caught that. Uh, it's it's hard to really pin down because when you're <laughs> only there for like six classes, your major is not exceptionally defined. But uh, rural sociology was the class that I really fell deeply in love with, the whole concept of you know green paint fever and whatnot. Uh, but I think my major was political science, but... As a freshman, there's only so much you can do with a major. Um, in hindsight, I'd have probably gone through a Fisher-style program. And what exists now as far as like entrepreneurship classes, that, that didn't exist in 2001. But there were great professors who were pointing people in that direction with stuff like the Business Builders Club. And that's probably where I would have um, stuck my nose if I uh, was there for that much longer. And the company that you found while you were there, can you talk a little bit about that process, how you found it, and then what your experience was like after you left? Yeah, so uh, I'd always been fairly afraid of heights, and also uh, I spent some time in politics. When I was 17 going on 18, I ran for the Columbus School Board. Um, thankfully, I lost, but I did get 9,000 votes as an unendorsed candidate, so I learned a lot of lessons. Um, but when I got out of that process... I wanted to figure out what I wanted to do. And so there was this Christmas light company that some of my old Boy Scout buddies were working for. And so I started off just working there a couple days a week and uh, and balancing classes and whatnot. It went really well. And I that's when I caught the entrepreneurial bug. It was, you could go with six kids from the inner city and put up $4,000 of Christmas lights within a day in the northern suburbs. And everyone was happy and the tips were amazing and our coworkers were all learning skills and and going home and, and hopefully stocking their uh, nuts away for the winter but it was just really really exciting so i learned i could upsell those customers i was talking to and uh, at the end of the christmas light season the founder of the company approached me about taking over the marketing and the sales for his asphalt seal coating company at this point we had three trucks for each. Um, and then over the course of the next five years, we grew to a point where we had dozens of trucks for both. We had a paving company, a manufacturing plant, a 
region-wide distribution arm. We had a bar at one point. We had uh, so much that we grew as a team and as a family together. Uh, but what ended up happening was all of them were five, six years older than I was at the time. And I'm, I'm 20 and they're 26, but then I'm 24 and they're 30. And they wanted to get married and have kids and not work 80, 100 hours a week. And as the marketing guy, it's hard to be told you need to slow down when you're in growth mode. So, How'd you grow as a person over that period? Because, I mean, you didn't have much background in marketing and things like that. So did you just kind of dive in and, and learn from others or how did that work? So I was hardened by the fact that I had tough partners, but I really liked those partners. And I respect them. They all had amazing backgrounds, uh, but were still, they were still, they were your age and I was 19 and uh, very, very... Um, successful people with great varied backgrounds and they would always come in and have an idea and then we would push it together uh, they were also very well educated and i was um, we'll, we'll say gruff so what um, a strong year of political science give yourself some credit <laughs> that's right uh my, my whole year um after my education of trying to run um but one of my great strengths where my greatest strengths for this kind of stuff is dyslexia. And I see things very different than other people. So they would pitch an idea to me, and I would say, well, what about doing this? And they'd think, oh, that's, that's a wild way to do it. But very often it would work. So there was a point in that time in the career where we decided that instead of seal coating a driveway and then driving 15 minutes, seal coating another driveway and then driving 15 minutes and seal coating another driveway, we would offer a deal where if you do it on this day, we'll do it for half off. But our scales were so great because you could literally park the truck and do an entire cul-de-sac in the time it would take you to do a driveway and a half. So we started going neighborhood by neighborhood throughout the city. Every day would be, uh, we would drop off flyers. People would call in two weeks later, we'd send the crews out, we'd take the crews pizza. And they wouldn't have to leave a neighborhood for the entire day. So uh, it was things like that. And then we replicated that with the Christmas light company when we eventually started doing paving and commercial lots, it was very much, how do we cut down on the drive time and the slack time and still make sure that our teams are um, being very well compensated uh, despite the fact that they're working in a different way than the market tends to lean. So ideas like that are interesting to hear because it almost sounds like if you're sitting in a meeting with a lot of people that are successful and you respect and you throw something down like that, a lot of people might hesitate and think maybe it's a stupid question or a stupid idea to present. Do you think for you, the fact that you were so young kind of just helped you to say, well, whatever, if it's dumb, it's dumb? Or did you have you ever, ever just been like not too worried about people's feedback when it comes to things like that? Um, I mean, I'm a fairly self-conscious person. I, I don't like... Fighting off more than I can chew or putting off too much of a arrogance. I also dealt with a lot of ageism where when you're 19 years old and you're going out and you meet with a client, they'll often say, I want to talk to your boss. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I am the boss and I've got 35 and 45 year old employees, but it's like, yeah, I know I can't grow a mustache yet, but I still am the person who's going to decide to give you this discount if you deserve it. Uh, but to your question, it's, it's important to figure out where you stand in a scenario. You don't want to have enough arrogance where you're going to upset people or you're going to break their systems. But if you never contribute in a substantive way, they don't need you. So it's important to push the envelopes, but I'd say just as much it's important to figure out where you stand and how sort of that inner uh, politics can flow. And is that the whole gist of it? Are there any particular tricks you used in how you presented your messages to people or how you presented yourself in general? Was it the way that you dressed or sat in meetings or things like that? Because I feel like there's probably a lot of people out there that are 19, 20 years old. They might have dyslexia and college just isn't a fit for them, especially with something like that. They're trying to go through all the reading curriculum and things like that. So if they wanted to jump into the professional environment, is there anything that you really remember that in particular that stuck out from that time that really helped you excel? It's a great question. I think that understanding your own strengths and weaknesses, no matter what your strengths and weaknesses are, 
are key for you to get respect from anyone. And I view dyslexia as my superpower, where I can think differently than everybody else. Uh, I also think that for many people, ADD or um, other things of that sort can be trained into being a positive instead of um, being pushed to just say this is a negative. But I think we all have that. Some people are really great with math. Some people are really great with the spoken word and they've got Blarney Stone, whatnot. Um, but it's that self-awareness of this is who I am and this is what I do and how it makes sense um, that allows you to help other people see it as well. Because if you go in there bashful, you're, you're going to fall the lowest denominator of what you can be. And it's very hard to get respect um, once you come through at a shy level, not understanding your own strengths. Okay, so let's dive into, from there, you move on, you founded the Small Business Beanstalk. So let's talk about exactly what the Small Business Beanstalk was and what it looked like in those early years. But first, Mike has to say that three times fast because he struggles. So <laughs> With small business, small business Beanstalk, Small Business Beanstalk, Small Business Beanstalk. All right. All right. Well, well done. Um, so uh, the Small Business Beanstalk was after I got through all those blue-collar businesses. I thought, we've got all these businesses, but they're not communicating together. They don't have the resources they need. They don't know how to. Also, all my friends were graduating from college at that point in time. And this is during the recession where they couldn't get jobs. So it becomes very easy to become an entrepreneur when you're unemployed. And so they'd come to me and they'd be like, this is my passion. I like cutting hair. I can take this program. I like mowing lawns or whatever that happens to be. So I started uh, playing the connections game where I would take the printing company that needed an alarm system and find my friend's dad who has an alarm system. And then when he needed t-shirts, I'd find my friend who had a screen printing thing in his garage and then we'd connect them. But then when the screen printing company needed business cards, we'd find that. So it went really well uh, at first. Lots of very happy customers. But we ended up growing to a point where we had, uh, say, 50 businesses within our network. And all the businesses that were contacting us wanting to join were the same industries. You can't have a network of 50 small businesses and eight of them provide the same thing. Because none of those eight are going to get a good value out of it. So that's when we set our rules. We said you have to be local and independent. We have to be able to provide you a value. And you have to be awesome, which was our <laughs> silly way of saying... Um, take care of our people, take care of each other. Like this is a community. We don't just want anyone to jump on in and then find ways to squeeze each other out. Like let's all rise up together. Uh, so we realized we needed to add the retail component to get enough businesses to feed our business to business customers. So we originally thought if we had 50 business to business, business to consumer customers, they would need so many services from our B2B that we would be able to make it work. But what ended up happening was it was this crazy chicken and the egg situation. We had lots of businesses that were concerned that no one was going to get a card. And we had a lot of consumers that didn't want to sign up even for a free card when there were no discounts for it. So we ended up taking over a small uh, nonprofit organization called Shop Local Columbus uh, that was based in the short north. A lot of our early partners, what the Rock, Paradise Garage, were inside of it. And uh, they said, okay, you do these 20 things for us, including putting door hangers up and, and things. Uh, they'd all join. So they joined. And then we stood outside of Milk Bar at the time and begged people to sign up for cards. Got a couple thousand cards, a few dozen businesses, and things were starting to get up and going. How did the monetization structure look like from your end? How were you guys charging the businesses? Or? Yeah, so the businesses paid us a small fee to get in, and then the consumers got the card for free. Um, but it didn't become sustainable until we got a little write-up in Columbus Underground that just said, um, you don't know what this card is, but sign up for it. It's good. Shop local, save money, support our businesses. If you don't sign up for it, you suck and get out of Columbus. Like, it was truly a paragraph. I, I just used a lot more words than Walker did in the original paragraph. Uh, but at that time, we were getting a notification whenever someone would log on and sign up for a card. 
And we had no idea he was writing this or he had, he, we had no idea he knew who we were. So one day our phones just start buzzing and we're getting these email notifications. People are signing up for cards and we thought we were hacked. And so our tech guy at the time did some research. He's like, no, they're all finding out, out about it from, from this blog post. And we had 2,000 signups within a day. And we were up and running. Um, and then to tie things back to how I met you guys, Steve Weaver from the Candle Lab called us and said, hey, I, I read your article. I want to join. And we told him, that's great. But all of our businesses, keep in mind, all 12 of our businesses are in the short north. And you're in Worthington and Grandview. And we can't provide you a value back to our original rules. So you can't join. And <laughs> then he did not like that very much, as you guys know from knowing Steve. Yeah. <laughs> that, that took him about a half an hour to call back and say, well, I'm the president of the Worthington Area Business Association, Old Worthington Business Association. I've got 12 businesses within my neighborhood, and we would all like to join. Can you provide us a value now? So that doubled our business. It was amazing. Um, it created this new situation where we had to figure out how do we split our business between Short North and Worthington and provide everyone a value. But then we started working with the Hills Market, which is in a different neighborhood in Worthington. We got them to start distributing cards to the hundreds of people that were coming in there every day. Uh, we put games together where we did competitions. And then we had our next light bulb moment, which was let's start distributing cards to churches neighborhood associations, major employers. Instead of getting out one card at a time, let's get out 10,000 cards at a time. And that's what got us to the point where we, we reached our critical mass enough where we could pop up different neighborhoods. And that's when we started to see some of that monetization we were trying to figure out from the start. And what did your team look like at that point? What was the structure? So at that point, it was myself, um, my buddy Nathan, who was my tech guy and I believe my roommate at the time, um, our friend Alex, who ran our admin and uh, was my roommate later, um, and our buddy Charles, who was just you know one of the best salespeople we knew, and we said, hey, you go be our head sales guy. And, uh, so it was the four of us, and then we had um, these extremely loyal interns that ended up becoming employees and partners and friends that like, taught us so much, especially because they had that academic background. And, and my partners did to an extent, but for the most part, we had similar backgrounds. So um, like the early days, we, we have best friend Sam, who was this girl, Samantha Fru, that's amazing. Um, Kristen Radu, a, a lot of different interns and partners, which came in in very um, small ways that made a huge impact. And so as things moved on, you know, you mentioned earlier some of your festival work. Um, but Small Business Beanstalk started putting on some small business festivals here locally, correct? Yeah, it, it got to a point where we really stuck with that we have to provide you a value thing. And it was hard. So one great example is the food trucks. We, uh, we started picking up these food trucks when it was just a very early trend. We'd get two or three different carts and we'd say, come on in, we'll have this discount for when someone comes to visit you and... These are the days of foodie cart, fusion food, like all these things that are no longer a part of that community, but were huge, Leslie Crepes and whatnot. And so we put together these gatherings and we push out to our network that they have to come, um, whether it's at the Historical Society or somewhere else. And we weren't the first to do it by any means, but we were partners with a lot of the very early on ones. And then when um, Chaz and uh, Mike Galicchio started putting together the Food Truck Festival, which is now one of the largest in the world, um, we were an original partner of theirs because it made sense for our businesses. And it wasn't just food trucks at that point. It was the food trucks, and then we had the merchants in the middle. And uh, so we did that, and then I got drafted into Independence Day and a lot of these other festivals, which have uh, become a lot of very significant parts of my life even now. What have been some of the major keys that have helped you create such success amongst these festivals you know i mean i'm sure that you have studied ones in other cities and things like that that don't turn out so well so anything in particular about columbus that's really helped you guys excel in those areas well mostly it's collaboration with each other um i've thrown some really good festivals and i've thrown a couple of really big losers as well so there's a lot of trial and error 
There's also a great risk factor when you're throwing an outdoor event in Columbus, Ohio, because just because weather's good on Thursday does not mean it will be okay Friday or Saturday. <laughs> and just because it's okay Friday does not mean it's going to work on Saturday. But the fact that it's 65 in February right now. Right. It's and a little confusing. Two years ago, it was five. So it's, it's a challenge, but there is this great resource. I work very closely with Compest and... We have partnered with the Arts Festival and some of these other groups that have spent three decades learning all the pitfalls. And Columbus is just really conducive from a government standpoint. Um, I'll use the, the, the city of Columbus term to trying to make cool things work. So there's not so much red tape that you can't move past it. You have to work within the systems. You, you can't run amok on it. But if you have a vision of throwing a festival... There's usually someone, and often his name is Jason, who will work with you to help figure out how to make it work with the city as well. Definitely. Find yourself a Jason. Find yourself a Jason. <laughs> but uh, so kind of moving into more current events, you recently sold the small business Beanstalk to CD1025, which has kind of moved towards some of your more current works with Connects Columbus. So can you tell us a little bit about that process and why you merged small business beanstalk with CD1025? Absolutely. Um, so I've been a fan of CD1025, which was CD101 when I was young. Um, and maybe we even talk a little bit about, for somebody who doesn't know the background and what they do and, and what they are. Ab absolutely. So um, in my opinion, they're the best radio station in America right now, in, in, the, in the world right now. And it's easy for me to say that after they, they purchased a company and I work there every day, but... Uh, they're a truly independent radio station in a in an industry full of a couple of big monsters which are controlling the advertising controlling the message and controlling what gets played uh, they're one of a very small handful that still keep it local have local djs have local street teams and influence and create jobs and take local artists and give them that microphone to move on up and also take the artists that you've never heard of from wherever and then present that music to you. So that's really cool. And they're respected industry-wide as a groundbreaking group. They do their own shows. They have their own bar. They have uh, shows within that bar which get broadcast out to everyone who's listening to them. They have an amazing nonprofit called uh, 1025 for the Kids, which was founded by... One of their DJs, Andy Mann, who helped create that culture. And um, they'll stay up for 72 hours straight and take requests for music to give it to local children's charities. Uh, it's just, it's something where I've been a fan of for years and years and years. And then we got to a point with the SBB where we knew that our partners took it about as far as uh, we'd be able to do on our own. So we started talking with some other potential community groups about uh, jumping in and taking what we've built and making it more. And right before we were about to finalize things with one group, um, Randy Malloy of 1825 snuck in and said, I have noticed you, you're doing something different and we're thinking about doing something similar and um, let's, let's do it together. Uh, I'm sure there were many more words and many of which I can't say on your podcast, but, um, it was very much a, hey, let's combine forces and do this moving forward. How do we create a greater sum? And that's uh, six months later where where we landed. So it just became official right before Black Friday. What does the pricing structure look like for a business like that? Did you guys have reoccurring revenue that you were based off of? Is that how that works? Or Yeah, I mean, we had reoccurring revenue. We had a lot of partners. We had some big companies. By big companies, they're still small businesses, but... If you look at someone who employs 100 people, that's very large for us. But for some other groups, they might view that as a, still a small business. Uh, and then we had mom and pop shops. Truly, those retailers who, you know, it's Mary or Yusuf who have their storefront. And they are in there every hour that they're open. And they still have to throw a placard on the door that says, be back in five minutes when they have to run to their restroom. Like, we've got all of those uh, range and so we try and reflect that now in the pricing structure for the business where a business can get in for as little as a dollar a day. 
and other businesses see more value in getting radio play to go up to a higher level of $2 or $5 a day. And there, there are even a lot of our businesses who are saying, okay, we're seeing a value at this level. How do we do more with the station to be able to amplify our voice? Uh, so it's been a great learning process because their sales reps are amazing. Their, their team is uh, teaching me more than I'm teaching them. And I guess um, my question, I, I, what I was aiming more for, I guess, was like, what was the acquisition pricing structure? Because like, how do you base a price based on relationships? Because there's so many relationships there. How did you go about kind of structuring yourself and positioning yourself to get the most out of it? Uh, a lot of it was based on future opportunity. So uh, a small part of the reason why I'm still involved in the way that I am is because I want them to succeed. And then myself and my original partners do better based on their success. So it's, uh, it's mutually beneficial for us to make sure that they uh, blow the roof off this thing. Right, that makes a lot of sense. So, what you so let's talk about Connects Columbus and what it does inside the CD one hundred two five. Um, exactly, what is your role right now with the company? And can you tell us a little more about what Connects Columbus does? Is it you know the small business beanstalk two point um, Is it you know exactly what are the you know what are the relationships like there? It it's very much small business beanstalk two point I'm going to steal that for my meetings tomorrow. Um, <laughs> My role there as interim director is I'm really just a guide. They, their sales director is a better sales director than I've ever been. Their webmaster is a better web person than we, we've ever had. Um, she's got 20 years of experience on this, and she's, she's great. Um, no offense to Nathan, who's also great, that was our webmaster and original partner, um, because he's great. But... Their street team is the best street team in Columbus. I mean, they go on out, they do ice cream trucks and give away free ice cream several times a day all summer long to different businesses. They're at every one of these hops and these organizations, every Blue Jacket game. Um, so I'm not teaching them how to do their own jobs. I'm teaching them how to incorporate what we've done, well and bad, into what they're doing so they can make the most out of it. Um, it's... It's going from us being a lean team of four or five people at different points in time to us being part of a much bigger group with a much bigger microphone. So the value that our businesses would see from us going out and standing on the street corner and begging people to sign up for a card, they're now seeing from entire teams going out and signing people up for cards. At the Beer Fest, which is an event we could not even get into, they signed up a bunch of people and some of them went directly to Easton to start using it at a Celebrate Local Store. So it's little wins like that that prove us that we made the right decision. And uh, we're pretty happy because our businesses are happy. And that's, that's what has always mattered the most for us. Absolutely. And, you know, I think um, you've always been well-connected and you've always lived in Columbus. And one of the things that I think that we hear from a lot of our guests and a lot of the people that we, we've spoken to on the show say that, you know, one of the biggest things about Columbus, one of the biggest pros for Columbus is how well connected and supportive, you know, our local businesses are of each other. So, you know, from your perspective, all you've seen with the small business being stuck, that sort of thing, can you, you know, kind of run over the pros and cons of um, doing business and living in Columbus? Yeah. Um, I think the biggest pro is that it's a place where you can grow infinitely based. Uh, I'm going to try and remember and then steal a quote from president Drake of OSU that was on the cover of 614. Um, you're only limited by your passion to fulfill your talents. I'm, I'm just butchering this, but Columbus is a place where your talents go further. And it's a place where, if you decide you want to do something, you can find someone who wants to support you. Like something like a startup grind or a startup weekend or Black Hacks, which is going on simultaneously to while we're, we're doing this. Uh, these are events where it's just complete support. And also, to, to steal more quotes, and I'll keep doing this, but trying to give credit where I can. Uh, Les Wexner was doing something where he was asked why he has the limited in Columbus. 
And he phrased it perfectly that if you look at either of the coasts, they're 50% surrounded by water. But when you're in Columbus, Ohio, you're fully surrounded by people. We are so close to so many people within uh, the country that it's such a fast drive. It's such a fast flight. We're just very, very centrally well located. Plus, we're, I think, per capita, the second densest student population in the country, uh, perhaps behind Boston if they're even beating us at this point. And that's pretty amazing. I mean, it creates its own challenges where you have a lot of people who are here for two and a half years on, on average or, or six years, depending. And it, it's a chance to really get in front of a ton of people. And, and there's a reason why the big chains test their their Whopper McChicken meals here. It's because... The Whopper McChicken. Please let that come out after this and be a real thing. You just, you just <laughs> wait. And then um, it will not even have a shell because they'll just float it over each other like Taco Bell is doing now. <laughs> but um, it, Columbus is, you know, the test market. And that makes it easy for, for a business like a, a Crimson Cup or Stoffs or Candelab or anyone like that to, to test and test it here and then grow out. Uh, other benefits are that the government is pretty good to work with. I mean, no no one's perfect. No one's great. You're always going to have zoning stuff, and it's going to be a, a lesson. But they want to help you. And that's not true in every city. Um, to a point where they have a small business concierge who will take your call if you need to be like, look, I can't get through this zoning permit. They'll help navigate and, and fight for you. Um, the community as a whole tends to support entrepreneurs and cool things and events and festivals um, more than just box themselves into corners uh, we've got an interesting community where like about half of us are inside of the loop and about half of us are outside of the loop uh, meaning 270 um, that's fairly unique but it provides a lot of test variation if you want to do that and go into a second location or whatnot so um, as far as cons uh, i think the only problem that we really have as a community is we've not really figured out what we are because we're so constantly changing and so it's a constant struggle for us to figure out um, how to identify ourselves but we're getting closer and there are entire teams um, i'm part of the create columbus commission we're doing studies on it um, and there are so many passionate people that it becomes a concern to where to place your own personal passion. We're the home of the Whopper McChicken. What else we got to be? <laughs> <laughs> so the future for you, I'm interested to hear now. I mean, you've talked throughout this episode about how you're really entrepreneurial and it's always been a kind of a part of you. Now you're um, kind of working for another organization since this is acquisition has happened. Do you think that you'll stay there for a while? Do you have other ideas in mind? How big do you think you guys can get and kind of what does the next five years look like for you? Uh, partially, I don't know, which I'm, well, you can't I'm becoming more way. comfortable with. <laughs> uh, I, I really see the station as continuing to grow and run this thing more and more as their team. And as that happens, I will continue to be a, um, a guide and a force and help them get to every next step along that way. Uh, but our other company, Atlas Community Partners, we're, we're doing a lot of really interesting things in the event space, both locally and regionally, and, and working with different cultures within Central Ohio, different communities. And I'm really enjoying that because I'm learning a lot from it and um, expanding out and doing those things. Um, I'm now a daddy blogger, which is something I uh, never thought I would be um, maybe either of, but uh, I love it. It's, it's great because I'm able to experience Columbus through my son's eyes and then share that with Central Ohio as well. Um, working on a book, but I think most of us are. Um, I, I really just want to help Columbus as a whole sort of move to that next point and then figure out what I can do to make the most of myself and to move towards that actualization. Definitely. So, you know, as we kind of wind down here, one of the last things that we always enjoy asking our guests, and it focuses around our motto here on the show, uh, which is live uncomfortably. Mm -hmm. We kind of try and focus on um, 
putting ourselves outside of our comfort zones and you know part of it is this podcast is talking to people that we uh, you know we haven't met before or mike's very uncomfortable talking to you right now is what he's trying to say (laughs) exactly you know i'm super uncomfortable all the time no but the point is that you know we feel you have to put yourself outside your comfort zones to find success in anything you do so how do you feel that phrase applies to your life and what do you think it means to live uncomfortably um so I just mentioned self, well, I mentioned actualization, but I, I strive for the idea that I will be comfortable enough to figure out what my goals of self-actualization are. So I try and do things that I know that I will be bad at. For example, I'm, uh, I'm working with a Mexican grocery restaurant shop, now ice cream parlor, um, and so I'm having to learn Spanish, which I'm sure if I went to college, I probably would have, but it it's forcing me to learn a new side of myself and to learn how to learn better um, because the Hispanic community in Central Ohio is so important and, and worldwide. And so uh, I'm, I'm trying to conquer that understanding right now. Um, no pun intended. No, no pun intended. Uh, but I'm also trying to figure out sort of what my next obstacle will be to obtain and i've got i've got a lot of heroes that i can lean on throughout the city and throughout um, the industry to be able to say i want to be like that and one great thing about columbus is i don't have to be better than them to strive to be like them and i don't think that's always the case who are some of those people that you look up to? Because I think what's really interesting sometimes we ask that question is not just the answer that comes out, but I think you kind of learn a little bit about what people's why and motivating factors are. And I'm always really curious about that with people who have achieved success and, and done substantial things within the city or in their life in general. So um, I guess who do you look up to and what kind of motivates you? I mean, there there are a lot of people. Um, there are some which you guys would know. I mean, Keep going back to Steve, but I talked to Steve while he was, you know, hanging out on family vacation today, well, trying to get his email down to zero, and he had an agreement. Hey, you guys hang out on the beach. I, I'm going to do this, but still break away. Um, Mark from Stoffs is, is a really big influence on me. Um, the whole team at Jenny's have shown a level of resilience that I exceptionally respect, and they they supported our festivals before anyone else would. Um, Mike Brown, the founder, co-founder of Independence Day, the whole Independence Day team. Um, there's this guy, Mark Kittrick, which you will probably have never heard of, but he's one of the top lawyers in town. He's the vice president of Puffin Foundation West. They do so much, and simultaneously, he's doing parkour and spy training during the day, playing shows with his guitar and piano at night, and, and still is one of the top lawyers. In, in all of the area, and investor, and community activist. I can't uh, even tell you the image that I just put in my mind. <laughs> I can tell you that the image in your mind, just think Bruce Wayne. And he's, he's uh, it's an honor to know people like him. And his wife, Java, she's a total badass as well. Um, and then like the, the urban planners, the, the Cleves, who saw downtown and said, this is what I'm going to make of it whole short north team and the campus teams and and i mean i I could do this for days someone posted a a couple days ago like who inspires you it was my friend chris from the united way and my facebook feed was just lit up with people tagging um, each other and whatnot it was really amazing and then he put a little post and he's like well matt goldstein he's amazing um and and wolf who who inspires you and i'm I'm in this situation with him right now. Like, how do I list all the people that inspire me without it being just like pulling Columbus's yellow pages or white pages <laughs> and putting it in there? But like Randy Sharma, all my partners in my past businesses and my current ones, the staff at 1025. Um, there's this company we're talking about doing a really cool partnership with um, on the Atlas side. And they're young, they're, they're super young. And they, um, they just get it. And they get it on, not a Columbus level, but on a national level. And um, 
and and then you know all the great Columbus commissioners, all these people under thirty five, and then the people running the neighborhoods that we don't even go to. It's it's a pretty impressive city that we live in right now. I definitely agree, and uh, I think that's a good note to kind of end off on here. But uh, you have any last words of advice for all our listeners out there? No, um, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm a fan. I'm excited to see what you guys continue to do. And um, let me know how I can help with conquering Columbus. All right, Conquerors. That's the end of episode 38. If you like that episode, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, social media. We're all over the place, guys. Share it with your friends. Also want to ask you if you could do us a big favor. Check out that podcast app you're listening to us on. And go ahead and click that subscribe button. Again, it really helps us out, and it makes sure you guys never miss a single episode of Conquering Columbus. Last thing we want to do before we let you go here is give one last shout-out to all of our incredible sponsors. And that starts with AWH. AWH are builders of exceptional digital products for the web and mobile that drive business for select growth companies. With over 4,500 applications developed and 10 million users enjoying AWH applications, they are focused on solving problems and improving lives through better software applications. If you want to find out more about AWH, check out awh.net, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. For those of you who don't know who they are, the Sundown Group is an Ohio nonprofit that helps connect entrepreneurs to investors, mentors, talent, and capital through business pitch events, workshops, and classes offered throughout Ohio. More information on the web at sundownfirst.org. Our final shout-out today goes out to Procure Clean. Procure Clean is the official disinfectant and deodorizer for USA Wrestling, and they have a patented drop-and-go product that allows you to disinfect pretty much any surface in as little as 30 seconds. If you want to find out more about Procure Clean, email sales at procureclean.com, which will be linked in the show notes, and tell them Concrete Columbus sent you. All right, folks, that's all we got. We'll talk to you next week. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment, and I might get you know, my head kicked in in the beginning, but I'll find a way to survive. I'll find a way to get the job done. Yeah, there's a little doubt, but you know what? Once again, I think of that guy in my ear. I think about stepping up to the stage. I think about the challenge. Like, I've lost sometimes, but I've won more than I've lost. And so, like, I bet on me any day. Choosing greatness. Greatness doesn't choose you. You know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.